Well, my name is Brandon. I'm the associate pastor here, and it's my honor and, and privilege to deliver the message today to all of you. And as Bill said on Valentine's Day, the topic we're getting to, it's going to be an interesting one. So um, I, I just want to start with this, though. How, how many of you just love good movies? Anybody just a fan of good movies? And I say good movies, not bad movies, good movies. There's bad movies, but good movies. I love a good movie. Um, one of my favorite things to do with my family is we love to have movie nights, family movie night. We get, we find a good movie that's good and appropriate for me and my kids and all that and my wife and, and, uh, we get popcorn or we order pizza and we just hang out and we watch a couple good movies. And, uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. And one of the things I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed this too, is that every big blockbuster movie or almost every movie out there has a common theme to it. Have you ever noticed this? It seems like almost every single movie has a common theme to it. Almost every single movie is a battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil, right? In some way, shape, or form. Uh, there, there's always the hero, the person we're rooting for, the person we're cheering for, and they're fighting against, you know, the evil army or the villain or the, against that monster or, you know, the, just the forces of nature trying to destroy everything, whatever. There, every single big blockbuster movie is good versus evil. It's some sort of battle in some way, shape, or form. And... Why is that? Uh, you know, have you ever thought about that? Why does Hollywood keep making these movies with kind of a same similar thing? There's some person who's good and there's some person who's bad or whatever it is. And, and uh, it's about the, the good person overcoming evil. Why did Hollywood keep doing that? Uh, one, I think it's because we love it and they wouldn't keep making those movies if we wouldn't keep watching it, right? <laughs> Um, they wouldn't keep making those movies if we wouldn't spend our money to watch those movies. But the other reason is, and this is if you think about it a little bit deeper, here's why I think that really is. Why these re- kind of movies and these stories resonate with us over and over again is this. Every great story of good versus evil stirs up in our soul in some way what we know is true. That life is a battle between darkness and light. It's a battle between good and evil. Would you agree with that? Uh, we, we read in the Bible, the Bible reveals to us that we in our lives are in a cosmic battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil, right? There's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Holy God in heaven who we serve and we worship. And he is all that is good and all that is righteous. But he's, and, he, and he's fighting against the prince of darkness, Satan. And we see this clash in scripture and we read about spiritual battles and we read about how Christians are at war and how we're fighting against the enemy in our life. And here's what's crazy about it though, okay? As much as we understand this and we know this to be true and we read this in our Bibles, there's a lot of churches that don't talk about it, right? We don't talk about uh, we, we love talking about the love of God and how good and wonderful and marvelous God is. And rightly so. He is awesome and he is amazing and he is incredible. And we should talk about that. But we downplay Satan. We downplay sin. We downplay the bad stuff and the struggles and the things that we go through because that's not as fun to talk about <laughs> in all honesty, right? And when Bill gave me this sermon, I'm like, great. <laughs> it's Valentine's Day. What are we going to preach on? Love? Satan. Oh, <laughs> well, that makes sense, you know? <laughs> Some of you are making the connection. You're like, wait, I went on a Valentine's Day date with somebody once and I'm pretty sure she was Satan. So that, yeah. (laughs) All right. That's my connection right there. That's the only way I could get to it. But (laughs) that's kind of funny. But here's the thing, all right? We talk about love. We talk about all these other things, but we don't talk about spiritual warfare that often. We don't talk about Satan and demons in the battle between darkness and light that often. And so today that's what we're going to be talking about. 
Because like I said, a lot of churches, we don't talk about it as much. And a lot of churches, we operate more like a country club. Uh, it's all about making our members happy. It's all about making our, serving our members and making sure that you are comfortable and happy and that you enjoy the service and that when you leave here, you're smiling and you want to come back again. Um, a lot of churches operate that way. And here's the problem with that. We send our church members out and they go out into the world completely unaware that they're walking into a battlefield. And nothing could be more dangerous than walking into a battlefield unaware that there's a war going on around you. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be ready to fight that battle. And the first thing that we need to do, and the first, one of the first rules of war is know your enemy. We've got to know who we're fighting against. We've got to know what we're dealing with if we're going to fight back. And so today, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Satan. We're talking about our enemy. We're talking about who he is, how he operates, and how we stand against him. So if you're ready for that, get with me. We're going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, start, or, sorry, chapter 2, start, uh, starting in verse 17. We're going to go all the way to 3, 5. We've been in this series going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to get to 2 Thessalonians as well in this series. And um, we've been going through this, just this, this letter that Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, this church that he started a long time back. And, and this is what we're reading about, and this is what we're studying. And to understand what we're about to get into in this passage, as you're flipping there and getting there, and we'll put it up on the screens if you don't have a Bible with you. Um, to understand this passage, you have, we have to do a little bit of historical context. You got to kind of understand the story of how it unfolded. And Bill kind of talked about this a few weeks back, but in Acts chapter 17, you can read all about what happened. Uh, you can read about how Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica and you can see it up here on the screen. I got a map for you to help you kind of place it. That's ancient Macedonia, which is now modern day Greece. That's where Thessalonica is. All right. And so Paul and Silas, they go to Thessalonica. Paul was a great missionary. They would travel. They would preach about Jesus and start churches. And so Paul and Silas, they go to Thessalonica. He begins to preach the gospel like he does everywhere he goes. And people begin to hear the good news about Jesus and how Jesus died uh, on the cross for our sins and then rose again and conquered death and how we can be forgiven in, through, in him and through him if we just believe in him. And people were coming to faith in Christ in great numbers. And this church in Thessalonica was beginning to form. And it was incredible. God was moving among the people and Paul was seeing a ton of fruit for his work. But... What happens when that happens? Immediately, Satan, opposition forms. And, it takes, and, it, and Satan does everything he can to stop that gospel from spreading and to take Paul out. And so the people in Thessalonica, there's a group of Jewish people who are very upset about the message that Paul is preaching. They get very upset that so many people are beginning to believe in Christ and, and follow after what this guy is saying. And so what do they do? They form a mob. And if there's one thing we learned over the last year, it's how dangerous and volatile mobs can be. Can we agree with that? They formed a mob and they charged to the house that Paul and Silas were staying at and they grabbed all the Christians inside. They dragged them out into the streets looking for Paul, but somehow they didn't find him. And Paul and Silas, they escape on the cover, under the cover of night and they, they go to Berea. So Paul and Silas go to Berea and what do they do? Do they lay low? Do they hide out because you know, they're in trouble? No. Paul does what he always does. He goes into Berea and he starts preaching the gospel. He goes out in the middle of the city and he starts telling everybody about Jesus. And again, what happens? People begin to put their faith in Christ. People begin to believe when they hear the message of Jesus and another church begins to form. And the, the Christians in Berea were incredible if you read about them. But again, church forms, people come to faith. What happens? The word of what Paul is doing begins to spread and the people in Thessalonica nearby, they hear about it. 
And those people who form that mob, they travel to Berea, form another mob to go after Paul again. And as the Christians in Berea hear about this mob coming and they know about this coming, they ship Paul off as fast as they can for his own protection. And he goes all the way south, all the way, way down to Athens. And the reason this is important is because you're about to, we're about to read in, in uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians where Paul's going to mention things like Athens, and he's going to mention uh, things like being ripped away from, from the people in Thessalonica. And you have to understand this whole context, that Paul, as he's writing this letter, is unable to get back to the church in Thessal- the Thessalonians. He's unable to get back to the church in Thessalonica. He is uh, almost like a wanted man there. If he ever stepped foot in that city again, there's a good chance he's going to be lynched right there in the streets. So you have to understand that this, this uh, persecution and, and this, uh, this way that Satan was opposing him in the work of the gospel. And here we go. That brings us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Read it with me. It says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. So he's saying, we want to be with you. We want to come to you, especially me, even I, Paul, again and again, I want to come be with you. But Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or crown or joy, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. And the next verse in chapter three says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. We're destined for affliction. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So here in this passage, we see Paul's incredible heart for the church in Thessalonica, this church that he had started, these people that he had met and ministered among. Uh, he, he, he desires so strongly to be with them. He desires so strongly to be there, but he can't. For whatever reason, somehow, some way, Satan is hindering him. Uh, I, I'm kind of a bit of a word nerd. So when I study uh, these passages of scripture, I love to dig into some of the original language and stuff. And one of the things that's fascinating to me, if you look at First uh, Thessalonians 2.17, you see that Paul says right there in the beginning, we were torn away from you. And that, that word he uses there for torn away in the Greek, it literally means orphaned. He's saying we were orphaned from you. Uh, and, and you kind of get Paul's mentality there and how much this is crushing. The way that word is, is it either refers to either children being ripped away from their parents or a parent uh, having their child ripped away from them. And I think that's the context that Paul was using it in. He saw himself, as Bill kind of said in a, in a previous sermon, he kind of saw himself like a spiritual father to the church there. He was like their father and he, he loved them like his own children. He cared about them like his own children. And here you see the pain of what happened to him when he was forced to flee. It's like his kids were being ripped from his arms. Um, man, that's powerful. This just shows the heart that Paul had for, for the church and for the people of God is incredible. 
but Satan hindered him. And he, and he points it out. He doesn't say the people in Thessalonica hindered me. He doesn't say that those bad people over there hindered me. He says, this was the work of the devil. This was Satan opposing the gospel, trying to stop me. And it kind of reveals one of Satan's ultimate goals really is, and that's to destroy our faith. One of Satan's biggest goals and the biggest things that he wants to do is if any way possible, like he says in the end, if, if somehow in some way, he wants to try to ruin your faith. He wants to try to destroy your faith, if at all possible. And so Paul, you see that he's, this is his, uh, his prayer for the church. That's why he sends Timothy to the church to establish, to strengthen them, to exhort them, to encourage them, to remain strong in their faith. Even though he is not able to get back to them for whatever reason, he sends Timothy in his stead to go there to help encourage them in their faith because his biggest fear, he admits, that somehow in some way the tempter would tempt them and that all the work that he had done preaching the gospel, all the good fruit that he had seen in his ministry would be for nothing. And so this is Paul's prayer for the church and this is our, our hope and prayer for us today that when we face opposition by the enemy, that we would be strong in our faith, that we would be strengthened, that we would be encouraged, that we would remain strong in Christ and not let Satan get in the way. One of the, the another word that I, I looked at that was fascinating to me uh, in chapter three, verse three, Paul says he's, he's, his, the reason he sent Timothy to this church is so that no one would be moved. And, and that word there, uh, moved by the afflictions, right? So that word there, moved, literally means shaken, it literally means that no one would be shaken. It's like Satan's trying to shake your faith, right? Satan's trying to shake you up. He's trying to get you to, to, he's trying to shake your faith by the afflictions, by the oppressions, by the difficult things that happen to you. He's trying to shake up your faith and, and, and destroy it. And Paul's saying, no, I want you to be unshaken, remain strong, stand firm. And if there's any way that Satan works, it's trying to get us to shake our faith, right? I, I almost picture it like, a, like an earthquake. You know, when an earthquake hits, what happens? It starts to shake everything. Anybody ever been in an earthquake before? In Arizona, every once in a while, we get like a little tiny minor aftershock of something that happened in California. And you're like, if, if you ever felt one of those, it feels a little weird. But if you've ever been in a big earthquake, like it's scary stuff, or you watch the videos maybe online, um, everything starts to shake. And what happens if a house is built on a poor foundation in an earthquake? It crumbles. And that's, the, that's kind of the, the picture we're getting here is that Satan's trying to shake our faith. And if we are not on a firm foundation, if we are not strong in our faith, if we are not holding firm in Christ, then there's the danger that our faith could come, crumble too in that oppression and affliction, uh, in, the way, in that temptations that he's put in front of us. And so happy Valentine's Day. We're talking about Satan. It's kind of depressing, but we got to know our enemy. So who is Satan? Who is he? How does he operate? That's what we need to get into. One of the best ways, I think, uh, just to kind of get a quick picture of who Satan is, is just to look at all the different names that we have for him in the Bible. Um, we went through this series last year where we talked about the names of God. Anybody remember that one? And we talked about all the different names that the Bible has for God. And each of those names teaches us something about God's character. It teaches us something about his attributes and who he is. Well, in a similar way, we can look at the different names of Satan in the Bible and we get a pretty good picture of who he is. Just look at this. Here's some of the names of Satan in the Bible. Uh, one of the, the common names for him is Satan. Uh, in, in mostly in the Old Testament, he's referred to as Satan. And it, that word literally means adversary. He's our adversary. In the New Testament, a lot of times we start to see him called the devil. 
Uh, that word literally means accuser. So he's our adversary. He's our accuser. But he's also called a lot of other names. He's referred to as the tempter, the destroyer, the evil one, the serpent, the dragon, the god of this age, the father of lies, the ruler of this world. And there's some others too. But you look at these and you kind of get a picture of who he is and what he does, how he operates, right? He's our adversary. He's against us. He's opposed to us as Christians. He's accuser. He's accusing us. He's, he wants to tempt us. He wants to destroy us. He lies to us constantly. He's the ruler of this world. And so we've got to be careful. This is a dangerous, evil, wicked thing. And so who is he? What is he? What is Satan? Um, the Bible gives us a bunch of different vignettes, kind of little portraits of who he is. And, and there's not really like one whole story that really captures where he came from and, and how he came to be. But here's what we really kind of need to understand, just in a nutshell. Satan is a created being. He was originally like an angel in heaven with God. And one day, somehow in some way, he rebelled against God, wanting to be God or be like God. And he somehow got other angels with him to rebel against God and God who won that battle? God did, right? Um, you go against God, you're going to lose. Uh, it wasn't much of a battle, I don't think. And the Bible says that he pretty much fell from heaven like lightning. He was, he's a fallen angel cast down to earth. Um, so him and the other angels who rebelled against God have been cast out of heaven. And now we call those fallen angels demons. That's when we say the word demon, that's what you're referring to. It's a fallen angel, right? One of those who, who followed Satan and rebelled against God. So Satan is one wicked, evil, fallen angel who's on a path to oppose God, to destroy God, wanting to be like God, but he isn't. We have to understand that. And so when we think about who Satan is and how he operates, there's two really big pitfalls that we can fall into. There's two major pitfalls that we can fall into. And C.S. Lewis perhaps said it best in his book, The Screwtape Letters. He writes this, and this is, this is brilliant. He said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or about demons. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They, make, they themselves are equally pleased by both errors and they hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. That's pretty brilliant right there. But think about that. All right, there's two errors that we can fall into. One is to think too highly of Satan. One is to put too high of a value on him. And another is to think too low of him and too little of him, or like he doesn't exist at all. And so that's kind of what I want to dig into uh, right now. The two pitfalls of this, we're going to just go into this a little bit further. So number one in the two pitfalls that we fall into when we think about Satan is thinking too much of Satan. We put him too high up. Um, if you aren't careful. And we see this a lot. In, I see this a lot with believers. We, when we talk about Satan or we think about who he is, if we're not careful, what we try to do is we, t we look at God up here and we look at Satan and we kind of elevate Satan to almost a God-like status, almost like they were equal forces battling one another. But here's the thing we have to understand. Christianity is not dualism. It's not two opposing equal gods who are fighting it out, good versus evil, uh, in like an even match. All right. Christianity, what the Bible teaches is monotheism. There is one God who is God alone. He is all powerful and everything else is nothing compared to him. So Satan is not like just equal with God battling it out. Here's God. Satan's a created being. He's subservient to God. He has nothing. He has no power over God. 
And so a lot of times if we're not careful, when we talk about Satan, we start to talk about him like, uh, like he's got the similar attributes of God. Like he's omnipresent. He's, all where, he's everywhere all at once, all the time. Or he knows everything. Or he's all powerful just like God. And there's nothing we can do to stop him. And if we're not careful, we lower God to his level or we raise Satan to God's level. And, and that is a complete error. We got to remember that he is a created being and he holds no power over God. Here's another way to think about this. Satan cannot make us sin. He doesn't have that kind of power over us. But think about that. You know, so there's no way that we can ever mess up or we can ever sin and we can be like, the devil made me do it. You know, it was the devil. <laughs> it, was, it was him. It was Satan. You know, we can't do that. Um, Adam and Eve tried in the garden. It didn't work out. Um, you can't blame the devil for your sin. Now, what does he do? He tempts you. He's the tempter. He might set the table. He might lay the temptation out for you, but he doesn't make you take the fruit and eat. We do that on our own. Anytime the Bible talks about us and sin, there's always a talk of personal responsibility, personal accountability for our sins. When we sin, it's because we chose to sin. It's not because Satan made us. He may have tempted us. He may have set this table or set the stage where we had the opportunity to give in to that, but we chose it. So we can't blame him for our sins. And at the same time, when we think about it that way, we also need to realize that he has no power over us in that sense then to make us sin. And so we can't blame him and say, man, that temptation that I keep falling into and I keep giving into, it's such a strong temptation. I'll never be able to not do it because it's just too strong and too powerful. Well, the Bible tells us that in Christ, you can resist. Look at uh, James chapter four, verse seven. It says, resist the devil And he will what? He will flee from you. In Christ, we have the power to be able to resist Satan. And if we do, if we stand firm and we resist him, he'll flee. That's pretty awesome right there. We may not be stronger than Satan, but Christ in us is. And we can flee and he will flee if we resist. Uh, another thing we have to remember about Satan when we, when we try to, when we accidentally put him too high up is we have to remember that he was defeated. Satan is defeated. At the cross, when Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins, he conquered Satan's sin and death. He rose again from the grave and now we can be forgiven and free and Satan holds no power over us if we have faith in Christ. And the battle is won, the war is won, right? The war is over. Now Satan, the battle's not over until Christ returns and one day Satan will finally be put in his, his ultimate place. So, but Satan's like a, a, a defeated general. He lost the war, but he's going down swinging. He's kicking and screaming. He's throwing a tamper tantrum and he's going to do as much damage as, as he can on the way out. But he's defeated. The battle has been decided. And so as believers, we got to take stock in that and be like, man, we can rest in knowing that the battle is won. And in Christ, we are already victorious. That's incredible. He holds no power over us. And so the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, that he who is in you, who's that? Christ, the Holy Spirit, God in you, right? He who's in you is greater than he who is in the world. So with Christ in us, we can be unshaken by Satan. We can stand firm in our faith. And when we face opposition, when we face affliction, when we face temptations, we can stand firm because God in us is greater than him. Amen? All right. So the first pitfall is we got to make sure that we don't put Satan in too high of a place. But the second pitfall that a lot of us fall into is we put, think of him too little. We can't think too much of him and we can't think too little of him. All right, the truth is somewhere in the balance there. 
And I see this all the time today. It's really easy for us to get like a naturalistic, materialistic view of things like uh, spirituality and of Satan, right? Uh, we, 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 in, in our mindset, in our culture today in America, it's like, if I can't see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, then it doesn't exist. If I can't test it with scientific methods, then it doesn't exist. And, and so we can easily get locked into this way of thinking that Satan isn't even real or demons aren't even real or spiritual things aren't even whatever, you know? And, and here's my challenge to you if you start thinking that way is think about it this way. Just because you can't uh, perceive something with your five senses doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Just because we can't perceive the spiritual world in some way does not mean it doesn't exist. The Bible is very clear that it is true, that it is a reality. Um, Many people see the effects of it, uh, but just because we can't perceive it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But it's hard for us to understand it when we try to wrap our minds around it because it's kind of like trying to explain to somebody born blind uh, what the color of a rainbow looks like. You know, if you've never, if we don't have that ability to perceive it, it's hard to understand what it is, right? And so it's not necessarily something that's easy to wrap our mind around it, but it doesn't mean it's not true just because we can't perceive it. Satan is real according to scripture. He's very real and he's very dangerous. And so we can't think too little of him. Look at 1 Peter warns us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Peter writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So resist him. Firm in your faith. Here's a warning, right? Satan's real. He's dangerous. He's like a lion waiting for someone to devour. And did you catch that in the beginning of that? Be sober-minded, be watchful. The way, when I read that, the way I kind of picture, and this is just how my head works, is I almost imagine somebody who's like on a castle guard, you know, watching out over the gates, looking, you know, he's supposed to be on watch, looking for the enemy, waiting for the enemy to come, and they're drunk and they fell asleep. You say, no. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Don't fall asleep at the watch. The enemy's coming, he's looking. And when you fall asleep, that's when he's gonna attack. When you aren't ready, that's when Satan's gonna strike. Like a lion, right? When, when an animal gets separated from the herd, that's when the predator comes in and takes it out. We've gotta be watchful, we've gotta be ready. We've gotta always be alert knowing that he is there and it's a real thing that we gotta be careful about. We can't think too highly of him but we can't think like it's not even a big deal at all. He's there and we've got to be ready for it. So we got to be prepared for battle. But unfortunately, uh, like I was saying kind of earlier, a lot of Christians, we aren't prepared to fight. We forget that we're in a battle. We walk around throughout the world and you know, the arrows of the enemy are flying everywhere and we're just oblivious to it. It's just going through, through you know, and we have no idea it's coming. And so we're just kind of walking around doing our life and all of a sudden something hits us, right? And we're like, what is that? How did that happen? You know? Oh, life's supposed to be good. Everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, affliction, you know, and and we're surprised. How could that happen? How could I face this affliction? How could this problem happen in my life? How come I can't seem to to get through there? How come I keep facing opposition? How come, uh, you know, whatever it is that's in your life that's, that's causing you difficulty and struggle, if you're living for Christ, like, we get shocked by this as Christians, and it's, it's so funny to me, yet I do it too, right? And who do we blame when, when difficulties come? We blame God, we look at God and we go, how could you allow this to happen to me? It's his, and we start pointing the finger at him. Or we do the opposite of that. We doubt God's existence because bad things have happened. And how silly is that? We start to blame him for the difficulties or we deny him because of the difficulties. And that's exactly what the enemy would want us to do, right? It's not me, it's God pointing at him. You know? <laughs> or, you know, or doubt his existence because I've caused these difficulties in your life. 
when we're dealing with difficult things, we've got to be ready for them coming in. And when they hit us, we've got to know and identify where they come from. They're not coming from God. The difficulties and the destruction and the afflictions and the temptations, that is the work of the enemy in our life. And we've got to be ready for it so we can identify it when it comes. So we're not knocked off of our feet. We're not completely surprised and blindsided by it. We know, hey, this is what the Bible said was going to happen when I'm following Jesus. It doesn't promise it's going to be easy. It's promised it's going to be tough. We're called to pick up our cross. We're called to, to face like what Paul was saying. We were, you were destined for this. This is something that's going to happen. I warned you about it. It's going to happen. And so I, I've encouraged, or I encouraged, I've, I've encountered some different spiritual battles and, and seen different spiritual battles in my life in, in many different ways. And a lot of times when we think about like spiritual warfare, you hear that term and we start, we start thinking about like we sensationalize it a lot. We like to think about, start thinking about things like demon possession, exorcisms, and like, you know, some, some weird, crazy spiritual stuff going on. And we, that's kind of the way we like to think about it. We like to spiritualize it, uh, uh, sensationalize it, right? Uh, but that's not... I'm not, I'm not going to get into all that stuff, but that's not really how it works most often, I don't think, okay? I think the way that most often the way that we encounter spiritual battles in our life is in like kind of the ordinary stuff that happens, some of the ordinary difficulties and the ordinary temptations that happen in our life over and over and over again. Um, one example that happened to me, and this is maybe a little bit more of an extreme example, but um, years ago when my wife was pregnant with our, first chi- or our second child, uh, Jackson, I uh, had been invited to speak at a youth retreat. And so I was so excited for this opportunity. I was invited to be the speaker for the whole weekend. And I was going to go to this retreat, hundreds of teenagers, and I was going to preach the gospel, call them to faith in Christ. Uh, And I was so stoked for this opportunity. It's going to be so great. Looking forward to it. Prepared for it for months, ready to go. And um, my wife was, like I said, was pregnant with our son at that time. But we had about, by the time the event was supposed to happen, we had still like another five weeks before she was, she was due. So it was like no big deal. I'll go to the event. I'll preach the whole thing. And then I still got like a whole month to hang out and prepare and, and get ready, right? We're going to be great. Um, while she does all the work, right? Because that's, <laughs> I saw some of the ladies laughing because, you know, it's a lot harder on the women. Um, but, you know, I thought it was going to be all good, right? But do you think that's exactly what happened? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how it went down. Um, two days before the event, we go into a routine checkup. We go to the doctor to do the routine checkup, and the doctor comes back and she says, Okay, I got good news and I got bad news. Good news, baby boy's okay. He's healthy. Bad news, we're going to deliver him today. And we're like, Huh? <laughs> like, we had just dropped our daughter off with, our, with her grandparents, and we're like, See you in an hour. We'll be right back. And here, all of a sudden, we go to the doctor, and she's like, Yeah, we're going to have the delivery now. Uh, my wife had had some complications. She had some really bad blood pressure issues. And it was to the point where they took her, her vitals and they're like, if we don't deliver this baby now, you may not make it. So we're going to take him today. Um, so emergency C-section, uh, the, when, they, when they pulled Jackson out, uh, he immediately went, turned purple because uh, he couldn't breathe. And so he was on life support on a ventilator for 24 hours. He was in the NICU for another two weeks after that. Uh, when we finally were able to get him home, he still had to be in an oxygen tank and a whole bunch of other stuff. Praise God, everything is good. He is healthy. He is wonderful. And we're thankful for that. But I'm, here we are. I was supposed, supposed to be preaching at this thing all weekend. And here now, all of a sudden, I've got my son is in the, uh, the neonatal intensive care unit in the hospital. So I'm sleeping in the hospital, running back home to see my daughter, who's like, where did mom and dad go? They just disappeared so they'd be back. And now, you know, all this is going on. And then I, luckily, it was f- close enough where I could run to the, ch- I could drive to the event and drive back and, and kind of do it in between. But you think all that happened on accident? No, like that, that's spiritual warfare, that's, no, God didn't allow Satan to take my son, thank God. Praise him for that. 
But if there's any way when we are doing the work of God, when we are preaching the gospel, when we are sharing our faith, when we are living for Christ, when we're being lights in the world, if there's any way that Satan can attack us, any way that he can distract us, any way that he can cause us to take our eyes off of God and take our eyes off of the work of ministry and, and on the, put it on the cares of the world and the cares of life, he's going to do it. And we've got to be ready for it. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be shocked. We've got to be prepared. So here's the deal. If you get nothing else out of this message today, I just want us to understand this. In Christ, and this big, in Christ, we stand unshaken by Satan. In Christ, we have all the abilities and all the tools and all the power that we need to resist the devil. But we've got to remain in Christ for that to be, to be the case. And, and notice that when Paul uh, was, was writing to the Thessalonians, one thing that we have to understand is that Paul wasn't alone. Paul had Silas with them. He had Timothy with him when he sent Timothy out to help them. He didn't leave them alone either to fight the battle by themselves. He sent Timothy to encourage them, to help strengthen them in their faith. And that's a key thing that we have to understand because in our, in our Western individualistic mindset that we have in America, when we picture things like spiritual warfare, here's, maybe this is just me, but I think it's probably true for a lot of us. When I picture spiritual warfare, I picture one person, this lone hero, fighting back the hordes of darkness by himself, how heroic and brave, right? You know, you almost picture this individual lone hero all by themselves fighting against the darkness. And we think, wow, how brave, how wonderful that is. And we picture ourselves in that position, fighting Satan all alone by ourselves, like like a brave, strong warrior. And that could not be more dumb. (laughs) Okay. The, one of the dumbest things we could do is fight a battle all by ourselves. One of the dumbest things we could do is charge the enemy all alone, unprepared and unready. The, the Bible, when it talks about uh, the, walk, uh, the Christian walk and it talks about spiritual warfare, there's always other believers around. It's always saying like Paul, even when he was going through difficulties, he still had Silas. He still had other believers. He still had Timothy, his brother in Christ with him. He still had other sisters in Christ around him. And so when we face opposition, we have to understand, don't fight it alone. Some of us, we come to church alone. And then we go home alone. And yeah, we maybe hear a good message and sing some good worship, but we're all alone in the battle against Satan and he keeps winning. We need brothers and sisters in Christ to stand beside us. So if you're coming here to this church, uh, we're so glad that you're here. If you're tuning in online and you're home alone, we're still so glad that you're tuning in online, but you need other people in your life to stand with you. Because if you're out there by yourself, you're going to get picked off. If you're out there by yourself, Satan's going to keep winning that battle. You need other brothers and sisters in Christ to lock arms with you to take the battle together. That's the way the Bible speaks of, Christian, of spiritual warfare. So if you don't have that, we've got so many different communities in this church. We've got so many different classes that we offer. We've got so many different groups that meet. We would love to get you connected. We would love to get you plugged in some way, somehow. Even if you're home alone and you, and you got nobody to talk to, we would love for you to reach out to us and we could talk to you and find a way to just to get you connected somehow, even just to people praying for you or, or whatever. Like, we want to be here to help. Let's do this together. Don't fight this alone. Don't feel like you have to fight that temptation alone. Don't feel like you have to fight that battle alone. Whatever it is that you are going through right now, you're not alone. You've got brothers and sisters in Christ in this church who will pray for you. They'll be there for you. You just got to reach out and let us know so we can help you. Don't fight alone. In Christ, we can stand unshaken by Satan. In Christ, together, as a church, we can stand unshaken. So here's kind of my question for us today as we think about this is this. Are you prepared for battle? Are you ready? 
As we leave these doors, you're walking out into the battlefield. Are you prepared? If not, why not? If not, what is it that maybe God's calling you to do today? What is it that he wants you to do? You say, man, what is it I need to do to strengthen my faith? What is it I need to do to make sure that I'm praying if I'm not praying? What is it to do to, I need to do to make sure that I'm getting in with a, a band of brothers and sisters in Christ that I can lean on when I'm weak, that can help pick me up when I'm down, that I can pray for and they can pray for me and that we can keep each other strong as we fight this Christian battle and this life together? What do you need to be doing? What is it that God's calling you to do to make sure that you are prepared for this battle? You know, if you look at like Ephesians 6, <laughs> what, are, what, are you, what do you need to do to have that full armor of God so that you can stand against the spiritual forces of evil that, you know, what is it that you need to do? Because like I said before, the church isn't just a country club. We're here, we're, we're going into battle together. The church isn't a cruise ship, it's like a battleship, right? The church uh, and the Christian, the Christian walk, it's not a walk in the park. It's a march into battle. It's not, there's no guarantees that it's going to be easy. There's no promises that everything's going to go good all the time. There's going to be difficulties. We should be ready for it. We should be expecting it. And when Christ calls us to follow him, he doesn't call us to pick up our pillow. All right? He calls us to pick up our cross. We're, we're marching into this thing together. It's going to be difficulty. It, just like Paul said, you were destined for this. There's going to be difficulty. Life is a battle between good and evil. There's going to be conflict, but we can overcome it. How? Not because we're so good, not because we're so strong on our own, because we have our brothers and sisters in Christ and we all together are in Christ. And because of that, we can stand unshaken by Satan. When he rages, when he shakes, when life doesn't go the way that we want it to be, we can stand strong in our faith in Christ. So let me just leave us with this quote. This uh, J.I. Packer, a brilliant theologian, said this. I thought this was so good. I want to leave us with this. Here's what he writes about Satan. He should be taken seriously for malice and cunning make him fearsome, yet not so seriously as to provoke abject terror of him, for he is a beaten enemy. Satan is stronger than we are, but Christ has triumphed over Satan. And Christians will triumph over him too if they resist him with the resources that Christ supplies. Amen. In Christ, we have every available resource and tool that we need to resist and remain unshaken by Satan. So the question is, are we in Christ and are we prepared for this battle? If not, why not? Let's get ready for war. Let's pray. God, we love you. We, we thank you, Lord, that uh, on this Valentine's Day that we can be reminded, Lord, of how much you love us. Even though this message wasn't the most lovey-dovey, heartfelt thing, Lord, there's, there's, there's no greater love than what you did for us. There's no greater love than that you sent your son Jesus to die for us on that cross so that we could be forgiven. And God, even though life is difficult, even though life is a battle, even though every day we march off into battle and there's, there's, there's difficulties and there's trials and there's afflictions and there's difficulties here and there and whatever, we don't know what is coming our way. Even though the world laughs at us for what we believe or they mock us or they think less of us because of our faith, God, you love us still. And in you, we can overcome anything. In you, we can be strong. In you, we can be unshaken when the devil shakes at our world all around us. So God, I just pray that we would be a church that would be strong for you, that we would stand for you, Lord, that we would be a pillar of light in the world of darkness. 
And Lord, that we together would lock arms with our brothers and sisters in Christ, so we would remain strong in our faith, we would remain firm in our faith, so that no way, no how would the tempter be able to come into our circles and tempt us to fall away from you. God, we love you. We thank you so much for the gift of your son. Help us to remain strong as we march out into battle today. Lord, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.